and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Crampton, Chief Economist. With me today, we have Professor Josh Gans from the Rotman School at the University of Toronto. He's also been based in Australia before. He doesn't need much introduction among economists, but this is a popular podcast, so I'll give a little bit of one anyway. Uh, Josh has done some pretty important work, and so, some of my favorites uh, is one that's had a fair bit of press that people might be familiar with, that when you uh, set an inheritance tax, people might change when they decide to die. That one gets a lot of um, uptake on popular media. One that I really liked when I was lecturing at Canterbury and I would use occasionally was his piece with Andrew Lee on media bias. So there they were taking the approach that Gross, Close, and Shapiro had had, trying to figure out how can we measure media bias, brought it over from the United States to Australia and found that Australian media, at least at the time, was fairly centrist. I'd also relied on some of his work with King when looking at credit card interchange fees in a submission a few years ago. It was pretty helpful. But more recently, Josh has been very preoccupied with COVID because he's in Canada and Canada has had an awful lot of COVID. And he's been thinking a lot more clearly about this than most others. That led to a book fairly early on on COVID policy. And it's also led to a wonderful little newsletter on Substack, which you should subscribe to. So perhaps we'll start with just what got you interested in starting in on COVID? How have you been thinking about this? And how are things going in Canada? Yeah, so what got me started was, um, um, you know, some form of insanity uh, that hit me in March 2020 uh, that I didn't know what else to do. So I decided I would try to actually understand this entire pandemic and all the economic issues and then translate it. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I gave myself, you know, you know, everybody was saying, oh, I'll learn a language or I'll binge watch something. And I said, oh, I'll write a book. <laughs> that's what I did. That's what, that's how I will cope with the shock of, you know, being locked down and not understanding what was going on. And, and I thought that would be it. Um, I'd write the book uh, and, and that would be it. Uh, what I didn't realize that a year and a half later, I'd still be writing. Uh, and so that's that's what happened. Uh, I, I I find it fairly disturbing that I've had things to say for a year and a half. It is a indictment on the state of the world, really. Uh, um, you know, Canada's had its ups and downs with regard to the uh, to to COVID. It's sort of uh, middling. Uh, it's done some things. Uh, uh, you know, it's had same missteps that a lot of places has had. It had a, it, you know, it was harder because it was sort of adjoined to the US. So, you know, even though the border is nominally closed, it, it isn't. Um, and so with all the difficulties going on there, it would seep through. Um, and it hasn't done anything sort of pioneering in terms of uh, pol uh, COVID policy or, or anything like that, that uh, helped it sort of act more like everything else to the other side of the international dateline. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's other than that, it's just left me stuck at home. <laughs> so most recently, you were posting on the coming storm for Australia. You've been following Australia fairly closely because of the links there. Yes. So there you're worried about what starts happening as, well, international travel starts being re-enabled and what the new normal could look like. And reminded me a little bit of, well, I've been writing for the past year on COVID as well. and last late last february i'd had a piece where i was just kind of well, is this going to be endemic like the flu this is kind of what the world looks like if it winds up being endemic like the flu is this a one-off that just like one vaccine takes care of forever oh well, this is kind of what the world looks like in that case 
it looks like it's going to be endemic. And what does that end up meaning for border policies in places like Australia? Yeah, so the, the problem is that unlike uh, SARS and MERS, uh, which were, you know, dealt with in a matter of months each uh, because of the nature of those viruses, because COVID ended up being spreading everywhere, uh, it, it, it seeped into being one of these uh, viruses that just circulate. Uh, it, has, it has its mutations and other things, but it moves seasonally, which really means it's a migration between uh, across uh, winters across the northern and southern hemisphere. Um, so, so really, what that means is there's never a situation at which you can vaccinate enough people uh, that you can stamp it out entirely. Um, also, uh, we don't know how long the vaccines will last. Although, you know, on every dimension that I ever saw forecasting what they'd be like these are like the best vaccines we've pretty much ever created in history. Even the ones that are sort of people get troubled over. Um, they really, really are uh, exceptionally good. I, I don't know why the human race deserved to be given, dealt that nice hand, uh, <laughs> but, but, it, but, but, but we really have it. Um, but the problem is it, it was always going to take a long time to vaccinate the world. Um, it was never 100% clear we would be able to achieve it, and, and it's still far from that. Um, so that means that the virus sort of circulates around. Uh, it travels between people. It travels to younger people who host it for a while and then push it back and things like that. Um, and that's what endemic means. And we know the same thing occurred because if you ask yourself, well, how did we end the 1918 global pandemic? Uh, the answer is we never did. <laughs> We never did. It's come back. It comes back, you know, almost generationally in a, in a sense uh, from that. Um, uh, and it just sort of, it, it sort of is mildly dormant for a while, not dormant, sort of uh, it not circulating around, but then something happens and it, it manages to get traction. Uh, and so, you know, this is, and even that one was probably a previous one as well. Um, so, so, so that's what endemic means. It's, it becomes like the flu, uh, the coronaviruses that cause the common cold um, uh, and those sorts of things. Now, you know, for some of these diseases, at least in the West, we've gone for almost 100% vaccination, you know, for measles, polio, et cetera. And that we believe they're no longer there because of that reason, but they are. <laughs> they're in, in the world. Um, the only one we've ever wiped out is smallpox. And, uh, and that took a whole lot of effort. Uh, it wasn't clear that the effort was, you know, worth it, but it was, let's see if we can actually do this type thing. Uh, so it's, it's going to circulate. So that means that anywhere in the world that is connected has relationships with any other part in the world, the coronavirus could travel to it. Uh, that's really what it is. And to people who aren't vaccinated or where the vaccines start to wear off as they might in older people, because older people tend to have weakened immune systems and all the vaccines are doing is stimulating the immune system, uh, it'll keep going around. It doesn't yeah. go away. 
So your post emphasized the importance then of getting fairly high vaccination rates to try and prevent this from happening, especially in places like Australia, and presumably then also for New Zealand. If we're wanting to start enabling more travel, New Zealand's position has been that we're going to keep the border pretty tight until everybody's vaccinated, or at least the vaccine has been available to everybody who wants it. They'd been hoping that that would be by the end of the year this year. Uh, we're not quite sure whether they're going to keep that timetable, but it shouldn't be a whole lot longer than that, we hope, fingers crossed. Um, your post also noted, though, a bit of worry where you can get less than 100% protection with the vaccine and tests being less than 100% effective. You're noting some work by Steve Hamilton and Richard Holden in Australia. What happens then with borders if... Um, vaccination rates haven't gotten to where they need to be and travel starts being re-enabled. Right. So so what the, the, the mathematics that Hamilton and Holden did, uh, which was something I'd, I'd, I'd also forecast as well, is to work out how close to zero do you have to be to be confident that you're not going to have an outbreak and that you can sort of go back to normal. And the answer is, uh, and whether and can you get that close? <laughs> uh, and the answer is it doesn't seem like you can, at least for the Australian case. But I think this would also apply for New Zealand. If you had a a requirement that anyone coming into Australia was vaccinated, and and and, and also you could have a requirement they were vaccinated with the so called good stuff. That's the ninety five percent rather than ninety percent efficacy or whatever it is. Um, and you required a test before they came in. And tests are are fine, but then. They're not 100% because they take a few days to come in and you might pick up the virus in between, et cetera. Uh, they calculated that if Australia returned to its normal levels of international visitors, which was 9 million a year, uh, I think proportionally New Zealand's the same, one per, one, just over one person per day would get through carrying COVID. Yeah. Whether that, now, that's 365 people <laughs> over the course of the year. Uh, the chances that one of them has uh, COVID and manages to infect somebody else who uh, is not vaccinated, for instance, uh, over the course of a year becomes almost, uh, you know, very, very high. So if you are, and I've watched this in Australia, I know New Zealand is the same as well. If you're in a, a mode where you want zero cases in your country, and that if you get a few cases, you will lock down entire cities to push it back down you will find yourself doing that all the time, uh, uh, even with, you know, requiring vaccination plus a test. Um, uh, and the test would obviously be, you know, and even requiring a test is a bit, a bit of a constraint on, on travel and other things like that, that's for sure. Uh, especially as other countries wind back their testing. <laughs> so it's really, it's, it's not, not, a, not a trivial ask. But even if you didn't require the test, uh, it would push up these probabilities a little bit, um, um, but but uh, would, would essentially essentially it means you're open to the world. Uh, so this is the this is the difficulty. Um, you can't you know if you have quarantines uh, two weeks or even three days as we have in Canada that really clamps down on travel. Yeah, uh, and so that is the dilemma, and it's a terrible dilemma because Australia and New Zealand have done everything right. And it would have all been fine had the rest of the world done the same thing. <laughs> so it's completely unfair. But that's the problem. And, 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 and the problem is really protect yourself. You've got to get up to levels of vaccination that we haven't even achieved where the virus is around yet. You know, you're 80% or above 
uh, uh, levels. And, and there's no real predictions that that's going to occur. At least in New Zealand, it looks like there's a lot of public acceptance of the vir of the vaccine. That um, the last surveys that I saw showed something north of seventy percent of Kiwis saying that they'd be happy to be vaccinated. And I think that the rest of the hesitancy isn't the hardcore anti-vax stuff. It's the not quite sure how this is going to pan out yet thing. So at least that's encouraging. A bit of a question though on the Hamilton and Holden figures. There are lots of different ways of opening, right? So if you went back to in normal levels of travel with, and only having a vaccination and a test restriction, well, you get that kind of an outcome. But you could also imagine that you'd have that kind of an arrangement for, say, travel from places where vaccines have been broadly rolled out and there are very low COVID rates. So you could imagine, for example, one travel regime for places like the UK, one right. travel regime for places like Canada and the US. No, I hate to, to uh, dispel you, but they mm. ran a best case scenario. They were assuming only all the travellers were coming from the best cases in the world where there's very low prevalence. So, uh, you know, that, so that was even taking that into account. If you want to travel to the UK or US, let's take those as, <laughs> as examples, or from, from various parts of Asia, which have low, this was still a, an issue going on. Um, and uh, look, it's it's just insidious. That's all. Mm -hmm. it, it's almost it's this. It's such a small number that you can only see it with the mathematics. Yeah. Remember, we're talking about in this in the case of Australia, and I think with New Zealand as well. You're only willing to currently put up with about less than ten people coming in a year, COVID positive and, and spreading. That's really what the current behaviour is. Um, uh, and and that is a tremendously that's a low number and any sort of reasonable reopening uh, is going to violate that threshold. And, and, and the reason why I put this out is, it, is that, you know, not that I think that you should lock down and stay, you know, hermit countries forever. Uh, that is certainly one response. It's, uh, it, would be, uh, it would be very divisive, I suspect, in the, in the countries that may not, you know, may still happen. Uh, but the, the, the reason is, is that, if you compare Australia and New Zealand to say South Korea, South Korea, which is arguably one of mm -hmm. the best in terms of handling the coronavirus, um, they've had 2000 deaths out of a population of uh, 50 million, but that's, you know, 30 times, uh, uh, 300 times lower than the US <laughs> in terms of the uh, yeah. uh, numbers and things like that. Um, so what you'd wanna do is you'd wanna say, uh, what they've had done, they haven't had a quarantine system. They've had a testing system. And if people get through, then they have another set of systems to contain any outbreak. So you have cases in South Korea going on all the time, but they're all manageable because it's kept at a low scale. Now, Australia and New Zealand can do the same thing, but it doesn't mean you have zero cases. It means you have some cases and you have to invest those resources in making sure you track them down and you have good contact tracing and things like that. And in the South Korean case, they've got the world standard on both of those fronts. And so they've been able to live with it such that when they finally get vaccinated, they will still have this infrastructure to keep, to monitor the situation and to keep things approximately normal. And what I worry about is Australia and New Zealand have spent all their time keeping the virus out and have not done that alternative thing, which is the real sustainable thing for an endemic 
yeah. uh, situation. I kind of hope that we'd be doing both the uh, a little depressing before the last election, um, a public health practitioner here, Ashley Varel, had put together a Aisha Varel had put together a very nice piece talking about the need to ramp up contact tracing, making the investments in that. Uh, she's now the Associate Minister of Health and the Varel report. Well, in February, our contact tracing team was pushed to its limits on just a very minor scale outbreak. So that was a little depressing. They still have some work to do in scaling that up. So to me, it means that we kind of, for right now, if we want to keep numbers down, we have to do be doing both. We need to have the border restrictions as people get vaccinated, and we need to have the resources into contact tracing and the rest of the setup so that um, if something does get through, we're able to deal with it. The other depressing bit is that our um, managed isolation system has not been quite as secure as it could be. So we're far from the frontier. So if all, all of them are like that. Yeah. Well, Australia keeps having even worse problems. Uh, Melbourne in particular, the public health people here have been tearing their hair out, wondering why we're having uh, managed isolation facilities right in the middle of big cities rather than kind of somewhere else. Um, they've not had much traction yet in government uh, investing in some quarantine facilities away from those, but there are some practicalities because the staff have to live somewhere, the staff do interact with other people, and then you've got, you're back into those worlds. So here, I would hope that we could get to a spot that over the next year, we could have a more risk um, sensitive approach at the border where we maintain the current regime but if somebody who is vaccinated from a place like the UK were coming in, maybe they could have a shorter spell in MIQ, maybe only three days rather than two weeks. Because if you're vaccinated coming from a low prevalence place and you have lots and lots and lots of testing, like test before travel, test when you arrive, daily tests while you're in MIQ, maybe a requirement to present for testing a few days after you've been released and requirements to keep up with the track and trace system that we have here. Right. That would knock all of those risks back substantially and hopefully the levels where our contact tracing would be able to deal with anything that still somehow managed to get through. We wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't be anywhere near the numbers that Hamilton had put up with Holden in, in their figures because that regime would limit figure limit numbers already, right? It's three days in quarantine, limited numbers of spaces. N goes down by a lot, so P times P times N goes down by a lot too. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, the, 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 you know, obviously uh, one would expect that uh, you'll reduce uh, restrictions in a sort of staged way. But here's what I'm, 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 I'm saying is there will be an outbreak. Yep. There will be an outbreak. There will be ones that get through following that. And then the question is, then what? Do you switch back to the high restrictions? Do you, you know, lock down? Do you do all those sorts of things? Or do you say, well, we can keep doing this, but we're going to have to keep doing this for five years? Or do you say, maybe we have to live with some of this? Uh, and again, I think there is time here. You know, in the Southern Hemisphere, you're going into winter. So no one, I would never suggest opening up now, <laughs> these restrictions. So you haven't been, not enough vaccinated yet, but you get nope. to a, level, a certain number of vaccinated. But as the summer comes in, uh, then you start to relieve those restrictions because the at the moment, uh, I'm not sure about the Indian variant, but at the moment, the virus doesn't seem to travel uh, uh, well in the summer. 
Uh, and that gives you the time to sort of get used to that. And that will, you know, that buys you the better part of a year to invest in better systems to, uh, to be able to deal with outbreaks as they come in and keep them contained. Because it's really much easier to contact trace when there's only a few yeah. cases and you're really onto it. <laughs> Well, there are a few things that do, do bring me some hope. The vaccine originally only really took a couple of weeks for them to put together is all of the testing afterwards. So what, once they got the genome from China, the mRNA vaccines were able to be ramped up real fast, like production ramping up took a long time, but getting it developed was pretty fast. So that tells me that if there are variants that come up that are a little riskier, well, they could probably shift production lines pretty fast to start ramping up the a new right. version of the mRNA vaccine to be able to deal with it. I'm encouraged by that vaccine acceptance in New Zealand seems pretty high. Right now we're massively supply constrained. More people want the vaccine than can get it. I'm certainly one of them. Uh, I watch my cousins in Manitoba who are half my age and they're getting their second shots and uh, sometime we might be able to get our first ones here, but there seems to be a lot told, of you don't need it right now anyway. I mean, the problem is the point is it needs a plan. Um, mm -hmm. So here's what will happen. It's the supply constraint will relieve. And then within a month, all of a sudden, everybody will be vaccinated. New Zealand's not that large a country. No, that's what will happen. <laughs> um, and, and, you, and no one will think, oh, well, I was sitting here waiting to be vaccinated. Because truth be told, you have nothing. It wouldn't change any of your life between yeah. now and September. <laughs> Except that it means that the every month that the border is closed, that it doesn't have to be because we could have had the vaccine rolled out faster. Right. That has a cost, right? And uh, that's that true, but at the moment, the, uh, my point is at the moment, there is no clear path even with vaccination to the reopening of the border, both in Australia and New Zealand. And in Australia, uh, you've seen the politics are crazy on this front. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened in Western Australia, a ridiculous landslide, all on this basically of COVID zero policy. And so... You know, that is a real constraint that the politicians don't even want to talk about the idea that you might have to, to, to adjust a little bit here. Um, that's very hard. Yeah. Well, there's COVID zero and there's COVID zero. So if someone who has been vaccinated, if, if someone comes through who was vaccinated and tests test negative but still has it, comes through, they're going to be less likely to be infectious. If they pass it, if they do manage to pass it on to somebody here who has been vaccinated, they're not very likely to get very ill at all because of it. So COVID zero in the sense of preventing big outbreaks, I think we can maintain that. COVID zero in the sense of nobody ever has it, but that, okay, that won't be able to be maintained, right, but right. not be not having substantial serious illness because of it, because we'd all be vaccinated, or at least enough of us to prevent big transmission chains. So here's what I, I, I know that's what you're saying. Yeah. One of the problems you're is more of a pessimist. Well, the problem is that, you know, when they do the modeling for the US, which is already, you know, up in the 60% vaccinated, and looks like that's where it's gonna, it's gonna uh, stop. Yep. Um, and they do some modeling for uh, what's going to happen in the fall when the US is open, things are normal, etc. They believe that it will have its biggest outbreak yet. That's in the fall coming up. It's the end of the year coming up now. So you look at that and you say, so how is it again that New Zealand's going to avoid an outbreak, <laughs> even if it gets 70, if it gets 70%? vaccinated how is that how's that going to work it's gonna to have to have something else in the middle there 
Yeah. And, and something reasonably, uh, you know, uh, efficient. And that's that's my concern is that there's no investment discussion being pushed forward. At least, you know, it doesn't seem to be enough in in people understanding that and politicians working towards it. I think that the last budget put an extra five million towards the public health units that do the contact tracing, but it doesn't really seem to be on the scale that's needed. I'd kind of, well, we'd had a policy paper that came out last March when we were thinking about this and we were imagining sort of a reserve army approach for contact tracers where you'd have people come in, do your two weeks of training and then go back out to the regions. And if something happens in one of those places, well, you call up your reserve army of contact tracers in that place to try and deal with it. I mean, just, just think about it a second. Japan basically kept the virus out through contact tracing. And now Japan, as we well know, if you've had any experience, uh, has a very efficient way of running anything when when it is uh, when that is decided to do, and that's what it did, and wanted to run that through to the Olympics, and yet now is dealing with an outbreak because yeah. even with that world best system, and even with everybody on high alert, that wasn't enough, yeah. uh, and that's because these variants see. This isn't the 2020, 2019 COVID anymore. The, the variant spread, the, the variant, the UK variant was twice as transmissible as the original COVID classic, as I call it. Um, um, mm-hmm. um, and the, the Indian variant is 20% above that. Those are huge changes in epidemiological terms. And so the spread of the, you know, the, the way this roars through is quite extraordinary. And if you look, at, and, and I'm watching this now, is in the UK, most of the cases are now the Indian variant. In the UK, US, the Indian variant is surging to about half the cases there. And in, and in Canada, it's just starting to take off that same way, just as we were getting everything else under control. So this new thing is coming through. And remember, it went through India. India was sitting there in the middle of snow and cold weather <laughs> when this happened. So I, 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 I really am, you know, that's my concern here. Yeah. I, I, I feel the, there's such a big desire to declare victory. And we're really feeling it here in North America. This, you know, like US is, we're done with it. Um, Canada's sort of saying we'll be soon done with it. And then every other thing I look at from, from experts and, 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 you know, there was things that they got wrong when they didn't understand these things, but now we do suggests, uh, suggests that we're, we're still on our toes. Now, the good news is that the oldest members of the population have been, are generally getting vaccinated at fairly high rates. Um, and so, in other words, we could have COVID going through uh, but we may not well get all the, the deaths or the really uh, bad conditions. But it's not certain because new variants are new variants. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we already saw this. So it's not yet, it, it, complacency isn't there yet. Uh, I, the analogy I like to give is this. Imagine at the moment you were in 1939 at the start of World War II and you were asked anybody in the street, how long do you think this war is going to go on? on, on both sides? The chances are they might have thought a year or two um, uh, that it might be going on, you know, and they each had their stories for it. Well, Germans thought that they were much better prepared than they were previously and were winning all the time. Uh, everybody else thought, well, they lost before, so they'll, you know, and so they give in. And of course, there's, it would be a massive underprediction. 
And, and this is very similar to a war, except that the virus has no resolve. It's just a, an entity. <laughs> so we can't psychologically uh, declare victory ever. Um, and so, you know, these things tend to last longer than we think that they will. Uh, and I think we've already had that. And I think we're going into this trap again. Well, at least here, uh, our Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, had a, an interview yesterday in Newsroom where he was looking at three or four years of this playing out. He didn't really address the border issues, but he was talking about our being in something like a level one and a half. So right now we're at level one because there's no COVID, uh, although we're having to watch out a little bit for forgetting anything from Melbourne. Anybody who's come back from Melbourne recently is supposed to be self-isolating. Uh, level one and a half, there'd be a few more requirements around mask use, around table service, rather than going up to the counter in restaurants, a few things like that. Um, but I point back to something else that you'd emphasized about a year ago on why R not tends to one. So if I'm thinking there, you'd, you'd had this wonderful piece where you'd said, well, right. even, uh, even in the absence of restrictions, people will start taking measures on their own account to avoid catching things. If, it, if you look out the window and it looks terrifying, you stay home. Once it looks, right. sa looks safe, then you go out again. And that's one of the reasons that some of the things like mask mandates, um, the effects of them weren't very well identified because you're not right. really getting the counterfactual very well. Um, if we think about that in the sense of vaccination rates, so if people are thinking in the US that they're getting towards 60%, well, we've declared victory, I'm not gonna catch it now. If they start getting another outbreak, you'll see a surge in demand for vaccination, right? Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, the best thing that, you know, the best vaccination strategy is high prevalence of the disease. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, no one's prefer preferred one, obviously, but that's, that is uh, absolutely true. Everything that seems to indicate that. And also, if you, uh, you know, um, uh, certainly look across people's behaviour in terms of their personal risk, uh, uh, that has driven uh, people getting mm -hmm. vaccinated. And you look at people surging in Melbourne, all of a sudden, oh, look, COVID's here, and they're rushing to the phones um, to, to book their appointments. So, I mean, it's like, it's a very, uh, it's, it, it is a motivator. But the R equal to one thing is not uh, a solution, it's an equilibrium. Um, oh, yeah. And the, pro the problem is that when people are, basically it says that people when they're worried about the virus going around, stop going to restaurants, stop traveling, stop doing all of those discretionary expenditures. And of course, every one of those sectors takes a massive hit. So the economic harm is yeah. still there um, from that. The only way you save yourself from the economic harm is if you do what Australia and New Zealand have been able to do for the past year and, and keep it out entirely. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's great that you clarified that in case anybody had, if I have not explained it well, I've used the same argument when our, arguing with US folks who'd say, well, you guys are going to take this massive hit because of what, what you've done. You guys are all just staying home voluntarily. You're ruining your, and you're not going to solve wow. the problem. Um, and being a little frustrated with, it's a little weird for me because uh, I come from a fairly markets work kind of background. And a lot of the people that I talked to in the, in the US beforehand, they seem to have gone a little nuts in not you wanting to have any controls. Yeah, look, you can be a libertarian 99 out of 100 days. This is the one day you're not, so then that's fine. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's it. You don't lose your cred that way, I think, from, from your perspective. But, the, uh, but the, the, the thing is that the Australian-New Zealand strategy was seen as a solution, whereas what I'm trying to emphasize that it is in part a debt mm -hmm. that is going to come due. 
And that's, uh, I mean, and it's unfair because no one thought it was yep. that. <laughs> and a lot of the cost of it can be mitigated if we get our vaccination at rates north of 70. And I'm yep. also encouraged by some of the things that we've been seeing in the US. The vaccine lottery seems to have picked up precisely the kinds of risk preferring people mm -hmm. that you might think would be, well, I'll take my chances on the vaccine. Well, I'll take my chances on the lottery, right? Um, so <laughs> it's, it's very funny what determines this. It's, there's also evidence that's just, just making it easy to get, uh, does it? Like, uh, and if you bring it to work and you have a drive, you end up getting 20 more, 20% 20 of the people, they don't, they kind of yep. feel silly when all their colleagues are getting it. Um, so, you know, like uh, there are ways to to, to do this and I, I'm, I'm sure it'll eventually get there. I think it's just taking us longer than the movie Contagion said it would. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, it, it's, it's, it's taking a bit longer. But the good news is, uh, you know, like in the US and the UK, uh, once you get up at those levels, the virus rate really drops off right at the moment. Um, much more than anyone predicted. Predicted. So um, we'll see what happens as there's some reopening going on there. So there's, a, you know, the next month will be quite interesting. But but you know, it, as I said, we've been dealt a fine hand with the vaccines. Yep, a fine hand, um, and 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 we should be very grateful for that. But that doesn't stop <laughs> there being some hard decisions. Yeah. So I guess in summary, then we need to be focused on scaling up our resources for those things that do breach our frontiers. We need to be making sure that everybody gets vaccinated, get the vaccine here and then rolled out, do whatever we can to make sure that people will take it up, bring it to them where we can, try and encourage them to take it however they can, and to be ready that this is going to be with us for rather a long time. And we'll have to learn to live with aspects of it, right? Trying to keep the cost of it down, but it's going to be around for a while. Look, having a good system of pandemic management with the goal of being able to squash outbreaks quickly, the South Korean system that they didn't have in 2015 and they did have in 2020, okay? Having those systems, having the emergency laws that are required and maybe the relaxing of privacy restrictions that come with it for an emergency situation is an investment in managing future pandemics. And let's face it, there's no yep. this there's no assurances that this is it. <laughs> this is in fact indicative of likely the fact that it's happened is an indication it's more more likely than not now to happen again. Well, any final words for folks here in New Zealand, Josh? I'm really looking forward to getting to go to Canada again. I'm originally from there. My parents are right. still there. Um, I want you to get. The, I want to get the acting together. You know, most of my family is in Australia. I haven't been back for now seven years. I was meant to come mm -hmm. last year. I would like to to be able to do that. So I want every I want I want everybody to get real and <laughs> work out a strategy to come back to the world. Thank you so much, Josh, and hope to see you in person next time. Thank you. Bye.